Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we are back in Colossians uh, today. Uh, I started the book of Colossians back in the summer. I told you then that we're going to dip in and out of it, and so uh, today we're dipping back in for several weeks. Um, Do a quick background and reset for you. Uh, Colossians, uh, the book of Colossians is actually not a book at all. Uh, The book of Colossians is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a specific group of people. Uh, the church of Colossae, or the people who make up the church. So it would be as if Paul wrote us a letter, uh, and our book of the Bible would be, uh, instead of Colossians, it may be El Mirage. Uh, it would be to the saints or to the people of the church in El Mirage. And so we know this because in Colossians 1, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, he says, here's who I'm writing to, to God's holy people. Other translation says, to the saints in Colossae. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our God and Father. Where are we at on the map? We've got a map for you here. Uh, Colossae was uh, part of Asia Minor, uh, part of modern-day Turkey. I circled it there for you. Uh, If you want to get an idea of where we're at, you can see Rome up in the upper left there, so you can have an idea of where we're at on the map, uh, close to Ephesus, which is where we get the book of Ephesians from. and there were three cities that kind of made up Colossae. There was uh, Laodicea. There was a, a, a tri-city a complex there. At one time, uh, Colossae was a very thriving city, a marketplace city. Uh, at the time of Paul's writing, uh, it kind of had gone the way of a second-rate market town. Uh, matter of fact, the ancient ruins have never really been uh, uh, uncovered. It's just kind of been left to sit. You see a picture there uh, on the right. A large earthquake rolled through there in 60 AD, kind of leveled the place, and that's kind of how uh, it has been left. The purpose of Paul's letter is to a church or to the people uh, in hopes of keeping the church in alignment with the true message of the gospel. Now, the church formed organically. Typically, what would happen is uh, Paul would go on a missionary journey, he would move into a location. Uh, oftentimes for a lengthy period of time, he'd begin to share faith, begin to talk about Christ. People would become believers, enough people would become become believers, and the church would form, uh, and Paul would kind of have oversight. Uh, The church and the Colossian church formed by a man named Epaphras, and we know this by reading the book. Uh, Epaphras heard Paul speak in Ephesus. Uh, He was there for two, three years, uh, and then would have taken the message back to Colossae, where the church was formed organically, uh, and so uh, we know that uh, Epaphras then traveled back to see Paul around 61, 62 AD. Paul was in prison in Rome. He made his way back to Rome. He had some concerns about the church. He was seeking advice on what to do about this church because there was some false teaching that was getting in to this new church and was kind of getting some people uh, sideways. And so uh, Paul's letter Uh, to the church was to bring some encouragement and to bring some correction. So what we have today, if you're not sure how the Bible is put together, we have a letter that was written by Paul to the people of Colossae, and that letter would have been read aloud, and then it would have been copied, and then it would have been passed on to another church. Look at Colossians 4. 
Paul says this, after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. In other words, pass this on and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Now we don't have that letter from Laodicea in our New Testament uh, text. If you're looking for something to study on, you can read a little bit on the lost letters uh, from Paul. You may find some of that uh, interesting. But what we have today in our Bible is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy passed on and preserved through history. And now we have uh, access, a look into Paul's letter to this new church to keep them on target and hold fast to the gospel message. Paul's message in chapter 1, he's highlighting the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. False teaching is beginning to work its way in, uh, saying that Jesus is a good start, but that Jesus uh, is incomplete, that he is not sufficient. In other words, they were saying that if you want the fullness of God, there was a secret knowledge or a secret understanding that if you're lucky enough, you can obtain uh, and possess it. But if it's Jesus alone, you, Jesus is insufficient, that you have not captured the fullness of what God is. And so they would say that there are secret ideas, secret rituals, secret uh, knowledge, the worship of angels, quite possibly. Uh, it was known as Gnosticism. Now, Gnostics lived uh, with the conviction that they possessed this secret revelation, this secret knowledge that completed the message of God or that they obtained the fullness of God. And those who were outside of their little clique uh, just were not able to, to achieve this knowledge that they had. It was, it was not accessible to them. Gnostics viewed God as divine, but they also... Uh, viewed the material world as being alien to God's divine nature. Their view was this, that the glory of God was diffused the closer that it got to earth because the material world was polluted. And so God up here in the heavenlies is holy and divine, but the closer that God gets to this material realm, that his glory is diffused. Now, that plays an important role in how they viewed Jesus. Because Jesus was in bodily form, they thought the fullness of God could not have rested upon him because he is material, right? He's matter, and matter is sinful, and matter is polluted. Thus, their push that Jesus was incomplete, that Jesus was a good start, but he was not the fullness of God. Now, Paul's letter to the church is rather subversive in that he is undermining the Gnostic teaching and authority by using their own verbiage against them to tell a different story. And so he says things like this in Colossians 1. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what the fullness of God is like, he says simply look at the Son who is the perfect image of God the Father. Verse 16, he says, for in him all things were created. Now, remember, They're saying Jesus is insufficient. Listen to the powerful statement Paul makes. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, here it comes, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Paul says, look, 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 look. I know what people are telling you that Jesus is insufficient and Jesus is not the fullness of God. He says, no, no, no. See, this is where you're wrong. Not only has he created all things, but he holds all things together. 
the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is not incomplete. He is the completion of all things. He goes on, verse 19. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now catch those three words, all his fullness. The phrase is redundant. Paul could have said, uh, God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. All his fullness is redundant because fullness, by definition, is going to include all his fullness. It's as if Paul is driving home a point to say that God was pleased to have the fullness of his fullness dwell in him. Right? He's kind of making this point. You think Jesus is incomplete. You think that he's not the fullness of God. That's where you're wrong. But God was pleased to have all of the fullness of his fullness dwell in him. And this idea of fullness becomes a reoccurring theme. So he says in 125, he says, I have become its servant by the commission of God gave me to present to you, here it comes, the word of God in its fullness. In other words, Paul's saying, look, there is no secret knowledge to be possessed. There is no secret understanding. He's saying, in this word that you have been presented, I presented you the fullness of God's message right? I presented you everything that you need to know. You received the full message of God. That's why Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone lead you astray by telling you that there's some mystery or some, uh, some mysterious knowledge that you need to somehow possess in order to achieve the fullness of God. He says that in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather rather than on Christ. Now, chapter 2, Paul continues with the same theme of fullness. Look at 2.9. For in Christ, there's the phrase again, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He's saying, look, in Christ, the fullness of the fullness dwelled within him. Not it, not, it didn't dwell in him in spirit form, but it dwelt in him in bodily form that Jesus was fully man and yet he was fully God. Paul uses this phrase again, all the fullness, redundant, the fullness of the fullness of God was in him, rest upon him. In other words, he's making his case. Listen, Jesus is enough for you. Now, he continues with, with this idea. Here's what Paul is driving to. Here's the payoff, Colossians 2.10. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He says, because Jesus is the fullness of the fullness of God, and because the Spirit of Jesus now lives in you, you have now been brought to fullness. He's countering this whole teaching saying that that you are missing out on something that God has for you because you don't know the secret understanding, the secret knowledge, the secret rituals. And Paul's slapping it in the face saying, you got this wrong. The fullness of the fullness rests on Jesus. And because Jesus is now in you, you now have been brought into the fullness of what God has for you. So he says, let's just put this whole secret understanding thing to rest. In other words, there is nothing else that you need. In 2006, Rhonda Byrne, I think is how you pronounce her name, she released her book called The Secret, bestseller. This was one of the ad placements for her book. Now, for the first time in history, 
all the pieces of the secret come together in a revelation that is life-transforming for all those who experience it. You know what the secret was? It was modern-day Gnosticism. That there's a secret that you have to find, obtain, possess. If you want to achieve the fullness of what God has for you, then you have to find the secret. And non-Christians and Christians alike, we sucked it up. You know why? Because we, like the Colossian church, really don't believe that Jesus is enough. And so there must be a secret out there. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, here's the secret. There is no secret. There's no secret, right? You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. It's all been placed in your possession. There is no secret. Jesus is all you need. He's saying you already got it. So stop looking for something that you already possess, is what Paul's trying to get at. He goes on to Colossians 2.11. He says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now circumcision was always an external mark of ownership. It was part of the mark of the covenant between God and Israel. And now Paul says, look, you have been marked by God with a circumcision of sorts, not made by human hands, But the idea is that God has still marked you as his own. He goes on to say, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. In other words, the old you is starting to shrivel and decay and die and fall off of you, is what he's trying to say. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. This is a symbol of baptism. When we go under the water, it symbolizes the death to the old man, the old woman, right? 2 Corinthians says that we have new creature. The old things passed away, died, and the new things have come. And so the symbol of baptism that Paul is building on, that we've been buried with the death of Jesus. Our old person has died. He says, but you've also been raised with Jesus. Coming out of the water is symbolic of the new life that we have been given, our resurrected life, right? Old things passed away, new things have come. This is why uh, when we celebrate Easter and we talk about the resurrection, the resurrection was not just Jesus coming back from the dead. The resurrection was a foreshadowing of you being brought back to life in your spiritual being and that his resurrection now becomes our resurrection. That the sin and the decay which held us bondage and held us down and was killing us is now removed and we take on a new being, a new life that is now placed upon us. The resurrected Christ is now resurrecting me. Verse 13, and you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us. How much did he forgive us? All of our sins. Not just the sins that you're willing to make public. All of them. Even those secret things in college that you've told no one about. Right? All of your sins are available for forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul's trying to tell him, look, Jesus is sufficient. He's everything that you need. Right? He's building this case that he forgave us of all of our sins. Now, I love where he goes in verse 14 and 15. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In other words, there was an IOU that we could never repay. 
there was a, a credit card that interest rate was so high, I could never pay it off. And what Paul is saying, that through the cross, God looked at our IOU and he said, forget about it. Right? I, I am forgiving you. I am canceling you of your debt. And, and, and I'm, I'm nailing it to the cross. That is the forgiveness of our sins. That's why our message is so important. Because we all have a plethora of sins. Right? Let's all, let's all stand up and tell everyone our sins. Right? We all have a long list of them. And the beauty of the gospel is Paul saying all of them, it doesn't matter what they are or how ugly, they've all been forgiven. The indebtedness that we have to God has been canceled, right? Forgiven. And look at 15. This is powerful. He says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. Now, he's not talking about Rome. He's talking spiritual power and authorities. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Long before there was body shaming, parents shaming, father, mother shaming, whatever that was on social media, Jesus disarmed Satan and publicly put to shame every power of evil that tries to hold you down. That's what Paul is saying. Yeah, that's good news for us, right? Hey, that'll be better than the best chili that you're going to sample in just a little bit. He says, look, he publicly put, get the image, Jesus is on the cross, and in a spiritual realm, the evil, the sin that comes against us is being publicly ridiculed and put to shame because of what Jesus is doing on the cross. That's powerful. And Paul says, you really think you need a secret knowledge and understanding? You really think that Jesus isn't enough for you right now? Look at, look at the progression. He says, Jesus disarmed every spiritual power and authority that condemns us. And our sin, our debt is now canceled. He says, we have now been buried with him in death, but we are also raised with him in his resurrection. And we have now been marked by God. We are his possession. And because the fullness of the fullness of God rests in Jesus, we too have been brought to fullness. Paul says, what else do you need? There is nothing else that you need. We have received by grace what Jesus is by nature. So Paul takes us on this journey and he drops us in verse 16 and he pivots, he transitions with a single word and that word is therefore. In other words, he's saying, because of the above, because of what we just said, because of the all-sufficiency of Christ, he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, which was big in the Jewish culture, or a new moon celebration, again, in the Jewish culture, or a Sabbath, or a holy day. Paul says, listen, because Jesus is sufficient, follow me, because Jesus is sufficient, do not let anyone condemn you because you're not living up to, quote, their version of spirituality. He said, don't let anyone tell you that you need to add something to Jesus. Because you already have everything you need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what he's saying. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if you have to put a plus Jesus, Paul's saying, you're missing out on the fullness of who Jesus is. So when Christianity becomes a religion instead of a relationship, it gets bogged down with all these rules and regulations that God never sanctioned nor did he originate. Here's what it looks like today. The church will say things like this. Um, 
if, if, if you're really spiritual, then you'll have to worship this way, right? Churches have always tried to mandate what real worship looks like, right? Jesus plus this worship equals fullness. Paul says, don't let anyone put that on you. He says, it would look like this. If you're really spirit-filled, then you'll speak in tongues and exercise certain gifts, right? We talked about that in our last series of what, what that looks like. Um, if you're really a Christian, you demonstrate your holiness by abstaining from alcohol, rated R movies, and secular music, right? If you're really a Christian, then you abstain from all of those things. And this, at certain times in, in our Christian culture, this was huge. I've had people come up to me and ask me questions like, if I smoke, can I still go to heaven? I'm like, yeah, you'll probably get there quicker. Just have at it, right? But this has been common in the... Now, I'm not saying there's not some wisdom in the things that we watch and the things we participate in, but what Paul is saying is don't let someone add this to your Christianity. Don't let someone tell you it's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus alone. Here's one. If you're really a Christian, I'll, well, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender now. If you're really a Christian, you're going to have an R on your voter registration card. Here's one. If you're really a Christian, you better have a D on your voter registration card. And some would say, if you're really a Christian, you better not have a D or an R. You better be an independent and vote against both of those bozos, right? See, so here's what we're saying, right? We're saying Jesus plus Republican, Jesus plus Democrat, and Paul says, stop it. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He is all sufficient. He is all that you need. Yeah, some of you are like, I get it. Other like, yeah, right? It's Jesus alone. This is what Paul was saying. Now, he was talking about festivals and, and holy days, and things, but the idea was still the same, that if you're really a follower of Christ and if you want to know the fullness of God, then you must participate in blank. Remember this one, if you're really a Christian, then you need to be a stay-at-home mom. Remember, that went around for a long time. Resurfaces every now and then. Paul's like, just stop. It's just Jesus. It's only Jesus. Don't let someone judge you because they're involved in activities that may be good for them, but doesn't mean it's good for everyone. In other words, let's not pretend that God forgot to mention a few rules and we have to make them up for him. That's what he's saying. It's legalism. Right? He's like, put that stuff off and just embrace Jesus alone. Uh, when, this, when this takes over, this is when the church just starts to form rules and regulations to begin to modify people's behavior. And that's never what the church was supposed to be. It's never what Christianity was supposed to be. Jesus is the behavior. Mo- Jesus is the one who changes us. Right? I don't want to put rules and regulations in to say, you must live this way. Be, act like us before you can be with us. That's not what the gospel was about. And Paul's saying, can we throw this stuff off? Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So there's this secret ritual and worship taking place. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. In other words, there would be those that would say, well, if you're really a follower of Christ, you need to have this spiritual experience that I have. Have you ever talked to somebody who has these experiences and you just kind of feel like, well, what's wrong with me? And Paul says, just, let's just stop for a second. It's not Jesus plus this euphoric spiritual experience. God bless it if that happens. But he's like, look, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. 
a bunch of rules and regulations is not what Paul and is not what Christianity is not what the church is supposed to be about. It's always been about Jesus. And so if you've added something to Jesus, Paul says, strip it away. Because Jesus is all that you need. Now, verse 23, or 19 through 23, I'm going to let you read on your own. I'm going to wrap this up so uh, we can get out and eat. Um, So let let me just say, here's what Paul is saying in chapter 2. Paul is saying this, you already have what you're looking for. You already have what you, have you ever done this? Pretend these are sunglasses. Have you ever done this? Uh, Has anyone seen my sunglasses? And you walk around the house, and you're looking for your sunglasses, and your sunglasses are on your head, right? Paul's like, you already have what you're looking for. Here's one. True story that my lovely bride did. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were with some people, and we're walking out of a restaurant, and she's checking her text, and she says, wait, I need to go back to make sure I grab my phone. <laughs> True. Remember? And we're like, nobody knew what to say. Like, you're holding your phone. Here's what Paul's saying. You're looking for what you already have. It's already been given to you, right? This is what, th- this is what he's saying. And so I know our, our rebuttal would be, well, you really don't know my life. You know, you really don't know the tension and the struggle. And I get it. This is the tension that we all live in. But understand, Paul was saying, you have been made full in Christ, Right? All of us, this is what is being declared over us. Now, is there growth that goes on in us? Absolutely. That's the beauty of Philippians 1.6, Paul writing to the church of Philippi. He says, he who began a good work in you will continue that work in you. You didn't start the work, you can't finish the work. Our job is simply to stay close. And so that means put down the guilt, put down the shame, Put down all the trying to earn it and just start to reflect what's already been given to you. Um, August, man, my wife's in on this one. August 21st, 23rd? 22nd. Damn it. Oh, there's no recovery from this one, is there? (laughs) August 22nd. Seven words were spoken over me that changed my life. I now pronounce you husband and wife. Now, from one more, I know, there's no recovery, I'm telling you. Hey, it's Jesus alone, all right? That's it. So, so from one moment, I went from single man to declared married, right? From one instant to single man, declared husband. Was I a husband? Yes and no. I was declared husband, but I didn't know how to be a husband right? I had to learn how to be a husband. I knew how to be a mama's boy. I was good at being a mama's boy, right? Mama took care of her boy. And so I, I, I knew how to be a mama's boy. I was declared a husband, but I really didn't know how to be a husband. That's why a new husband, when his wife was already in bed, called her out. I was on the recliner, called her out of bed, said, Sheila, can you come here for a minute? And she comes out and she says, yeah. And I said, can you turn on the fan for me? Uh huh. I learned really quick. I may be a husband, but I don't know how to be a husband, right? Right. I was declared one, but I need to learn how to be one. And so that that's kind of the struggle. That what what Paul is saying would be: put off your single ways, 
and adopt the married ways that you have now been declared. There was a lot I didn't know. Hey, did you know that, that vacuuming before you dust is stupid? I didn't know until one day I vacuumed and then I was dusting. She's like, where do you think that dust is going? Like, on the floor? She's like, mm-hmm. Who knew? Did you know that staying out to two in the morning without your wife knowing about it was a bad idea? I didn't know. I was recording a special song for our anniversary. Came in at two in the morning. She was furious. I'm like, but I, I recorded this song for you that I wrote. It kind of made things up, but not exactly. She still holds it against me, right? Here's, here's, here's the thing. I was, I was uh, declared a husband, but I was still learning how to be a husband. 27 years later, I'm still learning how to be a husband. Catch this. Catch this. I am becoming what I have already been declared to be. Do you get it? I am becoming what I've already been declared to be. So when the Bible declares you full, and when the Bible declares you holy, and when the Bible declares you righteous, are you righteous? Yes and no. Positionally, you are righteous. Are you, is, the invitation is for you to become what you've already been declared to be. When someone pronounced me husband, it was an invitation for me to become what I was just declared to be. You have been invited to become what you have been declared to be. Another phrase that changed my life, July 16th, it's a girl. And this little baby's dropped in my arms, my first child, alien looking thing with a head that kind of went off, banana headed around, right? I was thinking, in one moment, I went from fatherless to being a father. I was declared father like that. Now, was I a daddy? Yes and no. I was declared dad, but I didn't know how to be a dad. Did you know that babies become slippery as snot in the shower? I didn't know. <laughs> Caught her between my legs, squeezed like just out, she comes. What did I know? I didn't know about tea parties and changing diapers. and I didn't know about any of that stuff. I didn't know, you know, what do you say when that first jerk of a boy breaks her heart, right? Here's the, here's the thing. I, I was declared dad but I had to step in to learning to be dad. And now at 50 years old, the invitation is to become what I was declared. Hey, this is good news. This is Colossians. You have been invited to step into the person that God has declared you to be. And that is a beautiful message. And Paul says, you don't need any secret knowledge You don't need any secret understanding. There's not a secret message. You've been given everything you need because Christ is supreme and Christ is full. And so now the invitation is for you to become what you have already been declared. So let's lay down the guilt and put away the shame and let's just stay close to Jesus and let Jesus do what Jesus does. That's good news for us today. This is Paul. I can see Paul writing this like, man, I hope they get this. This is life-changing. And I'm thinking, I hope you get this. This is life-changing. Step in to be what you have already been declared. So that means some of us need to stop doing and just need to start being. That's the message of Colossians 2. Stand with me.
I'd encourage you today, uh, this week, read, you know, read through Colossians. We'll be in chapter 3 next week, um, you know, kind of taking this thing verse by verse. I love uh, opportunities to just kind of break down Scripture uh, for us. Hopefully it's, you know, it's inspiring to you. Um, but, you know, you, you can do this on your own as well, right? It's the beauty of the Internet. Just start to look up commentary, spend a little bit of time in your own study, and the Bible just starts to come alive to you. So I encourage you uh, in that. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be released for this chili contest. Eat some hot dogs, um, mingle, talk to people, please. Um, cast your vote. We'll go into Colossians 3 next week. Don't forget about Angel Tree if you can donate to that and bless some children. We would appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, I love the message in your word today. The fullness of Christ, the fullness of the fullness rests upon him. And because we are followers of Christ, we too are made full. That is an amazing thought. And so today, we want to step into what has already been declared of us. And so would you... Move across this room and just lift off guilt and condemnation. Would you lift off the lies that says you only have part of the answer? That Jesus isn't enough. That your sins can't be forgiven. That God is against you. Would you lift that off of us? And would we embrace the centrality of this teaching that Jesus is the fullness of everything that we need? For myself, I, I confess I'm stepping in to the man that you've declared me to be. For our church, we are stepping in to the men and women that you have called us, you've declared us to be. That's so powerful. And the beauty is, is that you work with us with such grace and mercy that in our failings, you continue to work with us. Continue to pick us up when we fall. Continue to move us forward. Continue to, to can, uh, perfect the work that you started in us. And that is an amazing thought. And so we embrace a God of love and a God of mercy who gave us everything we need and through Jesus declared us full. I bless you reveal. I bless you to experience the fullness that God has declared over us. In Jesus' great name, amen. Amen. Hey, happy Veterans Day to all you veterans. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week. Grab some food. Enjoy yourself. It seems like each moment so madly is threatening Oh, grave, oh, grave, oh, grave.